Good morning, everybody. Good morning to those who are joining us down in the overflow in the, in the youth room. For those that are joining us on live stream who are watching later, my name is Rob and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, it is a very special weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. And uh, what we're going to be doing now from Memorial Day to the beginning of July, we're going to be talking and going through a series entitled Hot Topics. Now, I want to I just put you at ease right now. I didn't look at the newspaper and decide to go, yeah, that one's the most controversial. Let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. No, that's that's not what we're going to do. But I but we are looking at several topics that are very pertinent to our society today, whether we want to talk about them in the church or not. But the way that we're going to go about it is we want to build a foundation and then we'll talk about specific things. And so today we're going to talk about if the church is the bride of Christ, if the church was prophesied for and prepared for and began with the teachings of, of Jesus and began to function on the day of Pentecost. If the church is, as I believe and hopefully you believe, if you believe the local church is the hope for the world, right? Why in the world is there so much hurt in church? Why is it that so much strife happens? Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about can we actually trust what the word of God is? Can we trust the Bible? Is this actually a book that has been perfectly preserved by God? Is it inspired by God? Is it just a little bit inspired? Is the inspired word of God contained somewhere in the Bible? Or is the Bible in its entirety, the canon of 66 books, can we trust the Bible? Then we're going to talk about how faith and science go together. Even though we have the separation of church and state in our country, isn't it true that the, the establishment of everything that we hold dear comes from the Bible, not from our founding fathers? Can, is it true that we can put faith and science together, that the smartest people in the world throughout history, is the Bible smart, smarter than they are? But then we're going to get into some stuff based on those things. We are going to talk about gender identity. We're going to talk about abortion. And then we're going to close out our series talking about something that the church, for some reason, has a very difficult time talking about. We're going to close our series talking about mental health. But we're going to see from the first three weeks how all of these things that we talk about can and should be talked about in the church because all of these things are addressed in the Bible. So if you're here looking for some nice political red meat, you're not going to hear it. If you're here and for the next few weeks and, and you think that we're going to, you know, bash certain people or no, we're going to say what the Bible says and that's how we're going to leave here. Because it is the job as it is my role as the pastor to teach you what the Bible says, not what I think. And it is our responsibility to go to the Bible to find out what we think, not make the Bible say what we want it to say. And when it comes down to it, are our convictions Traditions that were passed down, or are they convictions that we hold dear because of the word of God? And so we want to talk today about one of the biggest things that we probably don't talk about. Why is there so much hurt? Why is there so much hypocrisy in the church? Because I don't know about you, but I know you've heard it from your friends, right? Why do a lot of our friends don't come to church? Why don't they accept our invitation? What do they say? The church is full of what? Hypocrites, right? And we've been trained either through evangelism explosion or whatever. What, how have we been trained to say what? 
Well, you go to the grocery store and there's hypocrites. You go to work and there's hypocrites. Like you can go to the church, which I totally agree. Everywhere you go, you're going to find hypocrites. But if, but if we're giving our friends some sort of like canned answer that we've heard before, or we're trying to win an argument instead of getting them to the place that they'll want to hear about Jesus, we may have won the battle, but we've lost the war. So we have to talk about today, why is there hurt? Is there hypocrisy in the church? What are the things that we can do to avoid being hypocrites ourselves? What can we do to avoid hurting people? You see, that's where it is. Do, as the church, are we going to take ownership for the things that have happened? And if you look at, if you look at recent history, in fact, the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, you've seen a few very big names inside of Christianity go through some crazy stuff. You've seen our friends in the South go through an entire denomination where there was sexual abuse, it was covered up, there was racism, and all these things are coming out in a report now. And, and down south, the Bible Belt, where people go to church all the time, there are people droves and droves leaving, going to church because of these things. And I think, and I, and I, and I really believe these things had to have happened in order for us to finally reach people for Jesus, not just make sure they go to church. Because culturally, just up here, we are the same way in Northwest Ohio. A lot of us have gone to church our whole life because for generations we've gone to church, but sometimes we slip through the cracks and we're just going to church and we truly don't know Jesus because we think we're doing everything right because we're following everything that we've done. But sometimes the things that we followed aren't the right things to be following. And so we have generations of what? Generations of prejudice. We have generations of people caring more about morality than caring about whether they know Jesus or not. And because you know there's going to be a lot of moral people that are going to hell. You know that, right? It's what we do with Jesus. So what we have to think about and what I want us to concentrate on, why is it that when people look at the church, they see all of these warts, but they never see the gospel? Why is that? I don't know about you. If people see my warts, I don't care as long as they see Jesus, right? But sometimes we're more concerned about covering up the warts that they never see Jesus. And then we have churches and we have denominations and we have networks that aren't transparent. And then we have all these things. And then when something goes wrong, a huge amount of people suffer because of it. So did Jesus talk about these things? Yes, he did. And we're going to look at Matthew 23 today as we look at some things that Jesus spoke about. So I'd ask you to stand because God's word is that awesome. Amen. And we're going to read through um, chapter 23. We're going to read the first 36 verses. Here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets and the front seats of the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by people. But you are not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher and you are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. 
You are not to be called instructors either because you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides, who say whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing, but whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. Blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing, but whoever Blind people, for which is greater, the gift of the altar or the, the, the one that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and everyone and everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the temple takes by oath by it and by him who dwells in it. The one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you pay tenth of a mint. Dill and cumin, yet you have neglected one of the most important matters, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out the gnat, but gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like the whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but the inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but the inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You build tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophets' blood. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your ancestors' sins. Snakes, brood of vipers, how can you escape being condemned to hell? This is why I am sending you the prophets, sages, and scribes. Some of you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from, from town to town. All the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged to you, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I tell you, all these things will come on to this generation. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. I think my battery is in, right? Okay, you guys can be seated. <laughs> Say whatever I want to those on live stream right now. <laughs> Give it up for Dustin who brought me these uh, batteries. All right, we good? Everybody can hear me? Overflow, I hope you can hear. Yeah. Tony has too much gunshot residue in his ears. He can't hear anything. All right, so what is this passage all about? Now, remind you, this isn't um, a prophet speaking. This isn't Matthew the Levite speaking. This is Jesus speaking himself, right? So these are words that are coming directly from Jesus. And Above everybody else, Jesus is saying 
that a group of people that was installed by the word of God, the way that they were supposed to live, those who were following the Old Testament, they got to a certain point in their life and in their, and in their ministry, in their religion, that they were causing people to move away from the truth of the word of God, right? Jesus speaks a lot against the Pharisees. And we've been reading in the New Testament that Paul uh, brings up these believers who would also wanted to follow Judaism, who wanted to do what? Bring back the same types of things that Jesus was preaching against, right? And so when you put these things together, what I'd like to tell you is this. The church is God's institution to bring the gospel to the world. The church is the bride of Christ, right? Okay, we all believe that, right? But here's what I want, and I wish we could put this like on, the, on every sign, every doorway of our church, every bulletin, every letterhead, every offering envelope, every, every, every page on the website, everything on the app. I wish we could say this. There are no perfect people allowed at our church. Because if you think you're perfect, you just lied and you're not perfect. That's, that's something that you and I have to grasp with. We just finished a series in Galatians on standing in grace. And this is where grace and mercy become very practical. Because there's no one perfect in the church, you have to realize that you are part of that imperfection. And because you're part of that imperfection, we have to have grace towards one another that you and I are able to overcome things and continue to move forward together as a church family, individually and corporately, because none of us are perfect. My friends, I will fail you. I've already failed some of you. And it hurts when when you realize that your leaders aren't perfect But the fact of the matter is the way that we get through it is because when we both realize that we are imperfect, we both pray and ask for forgiveness over our character defects, which then joins us back together because we realize that we're not perfect. But the issue is some of us, we live our life, especially when we are stuck in what we believe or we think we're right about something, what happens? We, we go to this point that we think that we are, you know, another way, another way that we would say it in 2022 inside the church house, we wouldn't say we're perfect because most of us are smarter than that, right? None of us are going to say that we're perfect, but we, would, we will say this, we are definitely right about this biblical issue, Right? And the thing is, some of us, when we look at it, yeah, this is exactly what the Bible says. But do you realize that you and I lead people to hell every day by telling them exactly what the Bible says? Because the way we say it isn't in the spirit. So we're saying the truth of God's word, but we're saying in a way that doesn't line up with the spirit. And so nothing happens, right? People don't change. People go further down in their walk away from the Lord. Why? Because the way that we say it is not the way. Jesus even says to that we season what we say with salt. That, you know, I remember, I mean, and I've told you this before. I mean, the ministry would be absolutely awesome if it wasn't for you people. (laughs) It's just, I mean, it would, it would be great. I mean, sometimes in a counseling session, I just want to say, stop sinning, stupid. And then everything, everything would be, everything would be okay. But that's not the way it is because how many times does Jesus himself tell me, stop sinning, stupid? You know? 
There, there's humility, there's grace, but there's also this realization that, man, like the church is gonna have hypocrisy. People do get hurt. And a lot of the times it's our fault. So how do we live with one another like that? Because man, you know what society tells you, man, you think about just the institution of marriage alone. You know what the new phrase is, right? If first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's, that's how marriage is now. So is that, so think about what it means to the church. And you think about it. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you in this room have been hurt. Some of you have been hurt by me and I may not even know it. Some of you have been hurt by other people in this room and you've been going here 20 years. You just happen to sit where? On the opposite sides of each other. So you never have to meet, right? Some of us have come to the rock because you were hurt at another church. Some people are at another church right now because they were hurt here. What do we do with this? This is not okay, but it's also truth, right? It is. So Jesus speaks to the crowds and to his disciples. So I first, I, w- I want to see where he's speaking to. I think that's important. Jesus speaks to the crowds, but he also speaks to his disciples in, in verse one. And, that, and that's important. Because you got to realize whenever Jesus spoke, for the most part, unless he's pulling his disciples away to teach them, a lot of what Jesus said was in front of who? The crowd, right? Whoever showed up. And then within that crowd was a subset who were called what? His disciples. Those that were considering themselves Christ followers. And there is a direct tie-in to the the public and the, the, the subset that Jesus spoke to and who we speak to on a weekly basis. Because in this room right now, there are many disciples of Jesus Christ, but there also is a larger crowd of people who may not know Jesus yet. And this is really, every time the word of God is proclaimed, we have two groups of people. People who believe in Jesus and people who haven't yet believed in Jesus, right? That's the two crowds that we have. And this is the same crowd that Jesus is speaking to. And here's what he tells them in verse two. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. So now we're gonna talk, we're gonna lump these all together. We're just gonna say religious leaders, okay? But now he breaks them up, scribes and Pharisees. The scribes were the ones that were entrusted with continuing to dispense the word of God, right? They're the ones, they didn't have copy machines. They didn't have Dropbox, you know what? They didn't have PDFs. So what would they actually have? to do. Every time the word of God was written, somebody would have to write it over and over. If somebody saw that a copy of like a scroll was getting worn out, they would have to rewrite that scroll again in order to make sure that it kept preserved. And God used these scribes throughout millennia to keep his word perfectly preserved. They had tremendous rules about what to do. They had to wash their hands every time they came to the special name of God. They had to have four people look over what their work. They would pray over what they wrote. God did something in these writers, in these scribes, as they preserved the Old Testament from the time it was first written to when it, even when it gets to this, this time in the book of Matthew where we're at. Those scribes and also the other group, the Pharisees, they were what we would call the religious leaders, the religious elite, the ones that were supposed to teach other people. From the Pharisees, you had people who had the title what? Rabbi, right? Teacher. So this is basically the foundation, the, I mean, I guess today we would call it maybe a denomination, right? They're the ones who not only keep the word of God, but they're the ones that proclaim the word of God, and they do it for everybody, right? Okay, so when these people are together, Jesus is talking to who again? The crowd, and the disciples, 
And right in the middle of them, he says something. The scribes and Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. What does that mean? They're seated not only in a place of authority, they're also seated in a place of honor. And the way God wants us as the local church, because of Jesus Christ, we have a seat of authority, the word of God. We have the spirit of God inside of us. We are, we're going to sing a song later called Champion that it says, when we open up our mouth, walls come crashing down. When we open up our mouth, miracles pour out. Why? Not because we're doing it, because when we say something in the name of Jesus and we claim the word of God, God performs miracles. Every time you pray and you ask God for healing, every time you pray and you ask God for protection, because of Jesus Christ, because of the spirit living inside of us, we are seated in a place of honor. We are joint heirs with Jesus. And just like, in fact, even more higher than these scribes and these Pharisees, you and I are also seated in a place of honor and a place of authority because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we are in the same, so the crowd that Jesus is speaking to is the exact same audience of that, that, that we're talking about today. So I want you to think back now, though, during this time frame. Okay, here's what he does. Jesus is speaking to the crowds and the disciples, and, and he says, he, first, he, he lifts them up, right? What does he say? The scribes and Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Oh, it looks like he's lifting them up, right? And here comes Jesus' smackdown. Here's what he says, right? Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Right? Think about what he's saying. He never removes them from the place that they have, right? Because they have it. They're there. They have the authority. They have the honor. This is their right. This is the place where they are in society. But he tells them, and whatever they're telling you, whenever, they, whenever somebody proclaims the word of God, they say what the Bible says, you can do that. You can observe that. God even uses people who don't know Jesus to proclaim the truth of God's word because they're just reading what the Bible, someone's just reading what the Bible says. Even in a liberal university where the Bible is just another professional topic that they talk about, if somebody reads the word of God, someone could still come to Jesus. Why? Because it's the word of God. God's bigger than the, God is bigger than the preacher. His word is bigger than the pastor. And so if somebody proclaims it, things can happen, right? So he says, whatever they tell you, observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. So here's what's happening. There are a bunch of people who have a place of authority and honor who are supposed to dispense the word of God and proclaim what the word of God says, but what's happening is they proclaim the word of God, but then what they do with their life doesn't match up with what the Bible that they're teaching says. The very definition of biblical hypocrisy. That we preach one thing but then we do something else. Now, mind you, the first thing y'all are all thinking is this. Yeah, I know a pastor who's like that. Yeah, I know a Sunday school teacher who's like that. Yeah, I know some rich folk at the church I used to go to, they were like that, and that's why I'm not there, because they're hypocrites. Before you get on them, and I'm not denying any of that, I, I, I believe that it's, we, we know about it, we've seen it, 
realize every single one of us, one time or another, if not currently, practices biblical hypocrisy. We are able to quote, especially if we've gone to church our whole life, we're able to quote all those verses we learned in Sunday school. We say all those things, but then the way we live our life is exactly opposite of what we say. Don't you hate it when your kids catch you in that conundrum? I preach on be angry and sit not, and then I blow a gasket at home. I have five witnesses that go, ah, there goes Mr. Hypocrite. Mr. Promises, hey, Dad, can I have $5? So that's the way it is, right? They, look at verse 4. They tie up heavy loads and then are, that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Now, this is, this is not allegory. This is exactly what they would do. It is, it is so messed up what they would do. So it'll talk about it a little bit later. Pharisees wear these special outfits. The scribe wear these special outfits, kind of like uniforms to let people know who they are. But they weren't like functional, like military type of outfits. These were like long flowing robes that made it hard for them to do anything except be noticed, right? They were the ones that you, like if you saw them at like the Met Gala in New York, you'd be like, yep, spot on. They fit right in. They, they, looked, they looked, in our estimation now, they looked ridiculous, right? But for them, every time they would put something else on, it made them look like they were higher. And the, and the more they learned, the more lofty their robes got. The scribes had, 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 had robes as well to say, hey, we're the ones that are entrusted with writing the word of God, right? And so that's where they were. But here's what they would do to people. They would say, man, we got to we got to move this load from here to there. Or they see some guy who's down on his luck, who's really just trying to move some stuff around, trying to make a day's living. And instead of helping them, they would go like this. Well, dude, I can't, man. Don't you see these robes? I can't get these robes dirty. I carry the word of God, right? So here's what they would do. Yeah, yeah. Two guys, come here. And they put the load on the guy's back and they go, all right, buddy. See you later. They wouldn't even lift it. They would tell, hey, can you two people, I'm a Pharisee, you have to do what I say. Can you take the, those people, yeah, put it on that guy's shoulders, great. Off your way, buddy, have a good night. That's how they are. And you say, man, that's cold. That, that's really messed up. Look what uh, Jesus says, they won't lift a finger to move them. Now I want you to think about what we do today in our life. Specifically, I want to go beyond physical things because, man, if somebody needs help moving and none of us are willing to help move somebody inside of our church, you're a Pharisee and a public at the same time, right? But here's the bigger thing. Have you ever told somebody when they bring a very important or heavy prayer request to you about how there's an impossible situation, I don't know how God's going to work it out, there are things that, you know, I, I'm all by myself and I'm praying and there's this big financial load or like, you know, I just need to, whatever it is, and this is what we tell people. Well, thoughts and prayers. I'm praying for you. Or somebody comes to us with a very big situation that they're going through and they come to us for advice and we tell them, well, the word of God says this, do this and do that, and I'll pray for you. You know what we don't do? We always tell people to follow what the word of God says and take steps of faith, but you and I are always willing to send people out on the ice and we never go out with them. That's hypocrisy. 
When you tell someone they need to have faith about their situation and we're not joining them, not only in faith, but in active faith saying, I believe God will work this out and I'm going to, I'm going to use my resources to perform what God I know is going to work out in your life. So I am going out with you on this ice and I am going to be with you throughout this journey. We don't join people on their spiritual journeys and that's as bad as putting a load on someone's back and then sending them off without helping them. It's hypocrisy. We have these shallow prayers. We take these shallow prayer requests, but we never partner with people on their journey. We're too busy. We don't have enough time. If, I, if I, they ask, then everyone's going to ask. And all of these things that are, that are side issues, Jesus puts it front and center. These people put work on other people's back and then don't even help. And what do they use as an excuse? Their robes. And you know that by what they say. Look at verse 5. They do everything to be what? seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels, their physical garments, what they wear on them physically. They, they make them longer so people know, oh, wow, man, that cord was two feet last week. Now it's two and a half feet, two and a half and a little more than that. Can't you see? Like they tell people, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm smarter now. I'm wiser now. I'm a holier now. This is what they would do. Everything to be seen by others. They would be the people that would wait to everybody left and then make that person carry the load when people aren't watching, right? If people were watching, these Pharisees would walk towards the ice and act like they're going on it. And then as soon as everybody left, take a step back. Hypocrisy isn't just in us abandoning people. Hypocrisy is also in us lifting us, uh, ourselves up so other people see who we are. Because Jesus says what? Disciples of his are so focused on what Jesus has done for them, our humility at the grace and mercy of God doesn't give us any kind of room to be proud about anything. But they do everything to what? To be seen by others. Now, some of us, we, we do this. I mean, we, won't, we don't act like we do this, and we'll never say that we do this, but you and I do this all the time, right? Especially when it's time to put chairs and tables out or put chairs or set up chairs for teenagers. That's just a practical way we're doing it. Somebody's watching, yeah, we're stacking. As soon as they leave, I'm out of here. I'm done. We're trying to teach our teenagers this on Wednesday night. Half of them are walking back the other way when not all the chairs are, are up. Why? Because enough people, what, saw them do it, and now they're done. You do the same thing too, like, like when you make that awesome casserole for whatever it is, you put a nice little name tag on it, this is what it is, this is my gluten-free one, I did all that, I'm bringing my own pampered chef spatulas because I roll like that, and you put all these things down on the table, right? But that time that you forgot to be spiritual and you have to stop off at Chiefs, you just throw it on the table, take the price off, right? Unless you paid a lot for it, what do you do? You leave the price on, right? We do this, we do things for people to see who we are. So hypocrisy is not just abandoning people. Hypocrisy is also enlarging who we are in order for people to see it. All right, let's go to the next verses. They love the place of honor at banquets and front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. So this is the, remember, the first thing that Jesus said was that the scribes and the Pharisees were what? They were seated in the chair of Moses, right? But what are, what's one of the first things we know about Moses? That man worked hard, right? So much so that his father-in-law said, dude, you're working too hard. You need to get some people to help you organize how to deal with all these millions of people, right? These people took that kind of, that kind of work ethic, that kind of, uh, of status and character that Moses had, and here's what they did with this. Because we sit in the chair of Moses, 
We should be seated at great places in the banquet. We should have the front row, well, well, this is a, ch a church in 2022, the back row of the church, you know, the places of honor, right, where, where, where they sit. They want it to be the center of attention. They would be the ones that would want, you know, for, for Sheldon to, and for Michelle to give him a drum roll and a piano roll as they walk into the building. Oh, look, the Pharisees are here, right? That's what they want. That's what happened. They literally had that church. The church service wouldn't start in the synagogue until who showed up? The Pharisees, and they walk in like it's, like, it's a, like it's a graduation every week. That's how it was. They wanted greetings in the marketplace. So now let's make it, this is even worse. Like, okay, so I moved from a very huge town, a lot of people, to where I live now where everybody knows everybody, right? And so once in a while, I would walk by a spot, and when I first moved here, and I first started going to Hilltop for stuff like FCA, kids would go, hey, Pastor Rob, hey, Pastor Rob. That's weird to me that people do that, Right? Now, all of a sudden, let's say I walk into a school where Pastor Tony is familiar, like Stryker or Montpelier, and I walk in and nobody says hi to me. And I'm like, geez, sinful vermin. Do they, not, do they not know who I am? I mean, there's only like six Puerto Ricans around here. Like, this is, it's got to be me. They know who I am. I'm like, do you not know? And that's, that's, that, that's that ego, right? They... The Pharisees, like when they walked through a marketplace, and because you would know who they are because they have these, they wore these robes everywhere, right? And they walked through the marketplace, and they were expecting people to go, hey, Rabbi, hey, and if they, if they did it, they would get in trouble for not doing that. And they loved to be called Rabbi. They loved to be called teacher. Now, I'm pretty old school. I'm 42, but I'm pretty old school, Right? I'm still getting used to in a church where not everybody calls me pastor, where some people call me Rob. And like when I was, when I was younger, and, and last week too, um, when, when, when somebody called me Rob, it still like irks me a little bit, like, don't you know who I am, right? But depending on where we are in culture, where we are in society, and, and the age of people, it's not, a, it's not a disrespect, it's a term of endearment. That, you know, we know you, you're, you're Rob, Right? These guys loved to be called teacher, and Jesus makes a, an inference. It's not because of the endearment. It was because that was their what? Their status, their title. You are just student. I am teacher. Call me teacher. But then this is what Jesus says, okay? Now, remember, people also called Jesus rabbi, right? And why wasn't he opposed to that? Because he's the son of God. If anybody's supposed to be called teacher, it would be him, Right? So here's what he says. You are not to be called rabbi. Why? Because you only have one teacher, right? And you are all brothers and sisters. Because the problem is this. It wasn't that they were just recognizing their level of accomplishment theologically or educationally. They put themselves at what? As a higher species than everybody else. They weren't just teachers because they knew a lot. They were teachers because they thought that they were not only better than other people, that they were divinely better than people. And so Jesus calls them out by saying, no one is called that. Why? Because you are all what? Brothers and sisters. The Pharisees and the scribes had to be taken down a notch because they thought that they were better than other people. That's another part of hypocrisy. 
where you and I talk about the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, but we think that we're better than people. Especially when it comes to unsaved people. We think we're better than unsaved people. Do you realize you are just as wicked and rotten as the person who lives next to you who doesn't know Jesus? The only thing different about you is Jesus. It's not you. It's Jesus. You would be on your way to hell if it wasn't for Jesus, not you. Not what you do, not your works. It's that God called you when you weren't looking for him. It has nothing to do with you. You're not better than anybody. And for those of us, we need to think about that in our, in our upbringing. We look at certain groups of people and we see the way our grandparents and our parents treated certain groups of people. And all of a sudden, that's intrinsically inside of us. And we have to do everything by the Spirit of God to not act like they acted. And that only happens when we know Jesus and have the Spirit and have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So the answer for this world isn't let's just get rid of racism. The answer for this world is let's teach people about Jesus. Because nothing is going to change unless we know Jesus. Do not call anyone on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. Now, what does this mean? Now, remember, this is, think about the New Testament. I want you to think about the whole thing. Later on, Paul will call people spiritual sons, right? Uh, you know, uh, we even use terms of endearment like spiritual fathers, the ones that bring us up. We use terms like founding fathers. What does Jesus mean? Does Jesus mean we don't look to anybody that's come before us? No, we don't give people titles that only belong to God. And you know this, some of us who've been saved out of this type of religious system, where we even call the ones who lead congregations, we call them things like what? Father. And the reason why is because, especially if you look at a, a, an organized religious system like the Roman Catholic Church, remember, all final answers don't come from the word of God. Where do they come from? The Vatican, the Pope. And so as that trickles down to all of the other people, including the, the priests in charge of parishes, you aren't supposed to know the word of God on your own. You're supposed to go to your priest or your father who acted like your, your pastor to do what? To find out what the word of God says. And so for them, they call them father because without the father, you have no spiritual life. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ and know the freedom that comes with Jesus Christ, nobody on this earth should be called father. Nobody on this earth should be called perfect because the only one who has that title is God. And because of Jesus Christ, you and I have the ability to talk directly to God. We don't need a mediator because there was one mediator between God, God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. He's the one that gives us access. He says, don't even be called instructors because you have one instructor, the Messiah. Now, what's the difference between teacher and instructor here, okay? So teachers teach us the truth. They teach us a, a swath of things. And he's saying that's what the word of God, the Bible does. It teaches you a bunch on a different things. That's why we're going through this series. But then he says something very specific, an instructor. What does an instructor do? An instructor is a specialist when he teaches specifically on one specific thing. So like a teacher is general, an instructor is a specialist, right? And what he's saying is don't call yourself a teacher, don't call yourself a specialist because the only one who is anointed to show you the way to God is Jesus, the Messiah. He is our, think about this, Jesus is our specific teacher to tell us how to know Jesus. Wow. I'll bring it to myself. 
don't, don't, don't go what the Pharisees say about me. I'm right here. I'm the one that's going to teach you the way to heaven. And then he says this, why? All of this about why don't be called teacher, don't be called father, don't be called instructor, why? Verse 11, because the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He says, man, the problem is this. You and I will always try to make ourselves higher than other people. We try it in all these different ways. And he goes, here's what's gonna happen at the end. Whoever continues to make himself higher than everybody else, God's gonna knock him down. And whoever has been doing his best to stay humble before God, he is the one that will be lifted up and given responsibility. And so a lot of us, the reason why we're not moving forward in our Christian life is because we're too puffed up in what we think. We're too puffed up in who we think we are. And God wants us. We have to realize that there is some spiritual humble pie that we have to eat by reading the word of God that gets us into a position to realize how great God is and how small we are. And that's what begins to grow things. Let's go to verse 13. So woe to you. So now Jesus is going to, we're going to close up quickly with these things. Jesus gives seven woes. And he gives seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. And woes are basically, basically saying that, that a warning to them, a very, a, very, a very spiritual warning about some dangerous things that are going to happen. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And he calls them flat out hypocrites, right? You shut the door of, king, of the kingdom of, of heaven on people and in people's faces, right? He says what they're doing literally takes people to the door of heaven and then does what? Shuts them out. Because remember, the Old Testament leads us to realize that we can't follow the Old Testament, which leads us to trust in Jesus because we're sinners, right? So what these Pharisees do is bring them all the way, try harder, try harder, try harder, no, and stops them. That's what they do. That's what hypocrisy does. When you and I show all these people, all these things that we do, and all of a sudden, and then we don't show them the way to Jesus, and we act a certain way, we shut it up. Verse 14 isn't in some older versions of the Bible, but I think it's very important to read what it says because this is very, it ties in very clearly. It says this, the, the, the Masoretic text has this in there, and it says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Again, he repeats it, right? You devour widows' houses and make long prayers just for show. This is why you receive a harsher punishment. So here's what Pharisees would do. They would look at widows who just lost their husband, right? And what they would tell them is, hey, you know what? You should really donate that to the synagogue. You should donate that to the religious leaders. But, well, you know, well, my husband wants to, you know, I, I need money. I don't have it. No, no, well, the, the, the church will take care of you. And they would, they would take these houses and they would forget about the widow. All to make sure that what would happen, they would divide this property amongst the Pharisees. The Pharisees weren't only people who had authority and honor. They also made themselves rich on the backs of other people. And this is one of the ways that they did it. And then what they would do is they would make long prayers for show. So in, so in private, so imagine at a funeral, they're praying with the widow. They're saying, yes, we're going we're gonna to take care of you, sister so-and-so. Yes, it's fine. Thank you for your donation. And then all of a sudden, it's all done. Whoop! And they had the money and she had nothing hypocrisy. How do we do that? Well, when you and I use places like the local church for networking instead of community, when you and I use the church for places for us to meet people to whatever, to make our wealth better or to make our status in community better or whatever it is, we go here for the wrong reasons. My friends, this place is not a social club. This is a hospital for sick people. 
If you're here trying to, and by, by the way, none of us are famous. So like, I mean, don't even, it's not going to help y'all, right? I know Rob, big whoop. That ain't going to do nothing for you, right? That's not what you're here for. But these are what these Pharisees did. They, they, put, they ingrained themselves in society by being there for people, and then they would take what they had. All right, so I want to close up with verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Now look at this. This is important. You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. What a verse to close out, right? Here's, here's what this means. So Pharisees, they would recruit. They would recruit young people. One of the, what's one of the most famous Pharisaical recruits? The Apostle Paul, when his name was Saul. He sat at the feet of a teacher called Gamaliel. He was, he was going to be the, the chief Pharisee. He was the one that just wanted to snuff Christians out, right? Okay, so the Pharisees, they not only invested in this kid when he was young, they would also travel to other places to get these young, just very, very religious zealots in order to bring them into the fold because if they could teach them their way, what would happen? They would be what? They would be the next generations of Pharisees. And so they would do all this just for one. They never were trying to reach the masses for God. They wanted one more person to join the way that they were. And this is my warning for us as we talk about the church with no perfect people allowed. I am so thankful for those of us who know of people who are hurting or people who are going to a place of worship that may be anemic or not teaching the truth. And, you know, they complain about their church life and, and, and they found a nice home here at the rock. We're so thankful that you're here and that God led you to the rock. But here's my question to you. Are we only trying to recruit safe people so our friends come to church with us? Or are we reaching to the people who live next to us who don't know Jesus in order to bring them the gospel? Is our goal to build the rock of just a bunch of Christians from other churches, or is our goal to see people come to Jesus? I am so thankful for the, for the bunch of people who've been saved and baptized here at the church, but you realize our church is always one generation away from extinction. And if it's our goal to just see people who look and act and sound like us in our church, and we would, man, wouldn't that be great if my would come here because then we could, then we can go to lunch together. And we have this fantasy of church just being a place where we just hang out with other Christians instead of realizing this is the place where people meet Jesus. Hypocrisy is us making the church just for people we know are Christians. This place is supposed to be where people come to know Jesus. And once they come to know Jesus, do we, in, do we invite them further in to the family of God? Are we about recruitment or are we about evangelism? That's the difference between religious hypocrisy and true Christianity. 